Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cast Ice, the podcast that explores the great big wild world of tabletop gaming that exists today. It's been said once or twice, mainly on this podcast, that we are in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There are just too many good games that we can spend our hobby time and our hobby dollars on, and it can lead to a serious case of not knowing what to play next. And I guess that's the purpose of this podcast. It's to talk about the games that my guests and I enjoy playing, to talk about big industry events, and to talk to the people who create these games. Now, in recent episodes, we've talked about the Masters of the Universe Battleground game. And of course, we've talked to our friends at Crooked Dice and Edge Hill University to talk about 7TV, one of my favorite skirmish games. But it has been a couple weeks since we've talked about Bolt Action, and I have actually gotten a slew of requests to talk about Bolt Action again. And given that I actually just ran a, an event with an interesting format, I thought it would be a good time to invite an old friend to come back on to talk about the Bolt Action World Series. Now, if I'm going to invite anyone to come on to talk about Bolt Action and to talk about an event that we've both played in, especially since he and I haven't played, God, in almost seven or eight years, it's got to be the man, the myth, the legend, Pete West. Welcome back to Cast Dice. How you doing, my friend? It's always a pleasure to be here, Brad, if only for those intros. So thank you very much once again. <laughs> well, I didn't even mention that you are the longtime tournament organizer for WinterCon and CanCon and just all around Johnny on the spot as far as bolt action. Um, of course, you have your website, which I'm going to ask you to plug in one quick second. But you also moderate uh, some 3D print pages for World War II files. You've got your fingers in a lot of bolt action pies, and it's really exciting to have you on today to talk about a game that we both love, especially since we do play a lot of games. But Pete, talk to us about bolt alt action, because if folks haven't seen this, they need to. Um, well, thanks for the opportunity, Brad. But uh, yes, my life revolves a lot around bolt action. Um, and uh, unlike you, I don't have the uh, face or voice for podcasting. So I've gone into the medium of blogging. Um, so uh, as you mentioned, the website is Bolt Alt Action. I uh, sort of run a daily blog of all uh, news related to bolt action gaming. Um, and there's a bunch of other resources on that page. So um, resources about helping you play Bolt Action. But the two big things are I've got a lot of resources of informal army lists, so alternate army lists for different forces. Uh, all mine are up there along with a couple of others I've collected from other people. So you've got the likes of um, Home Army, um, Swedish lists. Um, so there's a whole bunch of very different lists and some of them we've discussed on your podcast before so might be of interest and lastly as you mentioned um i have a keen interest in 3d printing especially as it relates to bolt action so my website's got a lot of 3d printing resources on it so links to uh 3d printing sources um but also i run a facebook page called uh 3D printing for historical wargaming. So um, there's a lot of stuff, not just bolt action, but certainly there's a fair, fair bit of bolt action um, info on that page as well. Definitely. And those that is not only a great website, but it's also a great Facebook group. I don't own a 3D printer, and yet 
I, I stay in that group to see the cool stuff that is being produced and the files that people are sharing. And occasionally, once or twice, I've seen a few things fly by that I've gone, excuse me, excuse me, sir, where can I get this file? At which point I then share it with someone who can print it for me. So it is a great community and it's a great resource, both the website and the Facebook page. So guys, if you haven't checked it out, please check it out. Now, Pete, you and I suffer from a very similar problem. You and I both run a lot of events. You played in very few bolt action events in the many years that you were TOing WinterCon and CanCon because those were sort of the big two cornerstone events in the Canberra scene every year. Likewise, Lee Avery and I run Easter Front uh, in the beginning of the year and Operation Bear at the end of the year. And while there's a few other things in between, I haven't had a chance to actually sit down and play in a bolt action event in quite a while. Now, I know you stepped down from a lot of your TO duties over the last couple of years and part of that COVID, et cetera. But recently you have been playing in some events. Was the fact that you weren't able to play one of the reasons why you stepped down from CanCon or was it burnout logistics? Is that a personal question? Should I not ask that? Uh, no, it's fine. Um, no, it was really just the fact that I'd done it for just five years plus and I just was a little bit burnt out at the end of that. And also, I, I feel there's a, a time when you should step back and let someone else have a go because there's more than one way to play bolt action as we've discussed mm. on this podcast many different times. And, you know, I ran my events a certain way when we've talked about that here occasionally and other people wanted different types of events. And given that so many people were coming to CanCon, so, you know, it certainly was the biggest event in Australia where we had, I think the last one was about 82 people. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I thought, well, I'll take a break, but it also gives someone else a chance to step up and um, do something different. And so COVID sort of disrupted that. But um, by the same token, we've had um, a couple of different people uh, run CanCon over the last couple of years. And this year we've got Hari and Tristan who are going to do something entirely different, I think, from what, what's been done before. So it's mm. great to see bolt action being done in a different way. And I think, exactly. as I mentioned uh, I'll probably come back and do Wintercon the way I do bolt action, but uh, CanCon will be something different, and I think that's really good. Yeah. Well, you and I, as I said, do suffer from this problem. And so given that I'm running Jump to Action in September and Operation Bear with my, our buddy Lee in November, I kind of was wanting to play in an event. And five years ago, um, I adapted a format of event play from our good friend uh, Greg Johnson over at the Hoodling Hole. For those who haven't checked it out and like fantasy wargaming, my God, this is the blog for rank and flank amazingness. Um, this is the guy who pretty much paints an army every time he wakes up in the morning, and they're all to the best standard ever. I've never seen anyone hobby like this, including Patch. Like, it's outrageous, this man's hobby. And Greg Johnson, forever and a day ago, came up with the idea of the Warhammer World Series. Now, I don't know why he picked that name, but the way the format worked is tables were set and armies were matched theme thematically against one another. And 
over the course of the day, players would rotate tables, but the armies wouldn't move. Now, I thought, given that in bolt action, a rifleman is a rifleman is a rifleman, generally. I mean, national rules aside and a few other things. However, I thought that format fit bolt action better than classic Warhammer ever did. So I ran a very small test run of this with, I believe, four, four players or six players five years ago. Given that lockdowns are over and given uh, that I hadn't had a chance to play in a lot of events because I'm often running them, I thought it would be a lot of fun to run the World Series again this year. Also, I looked at the shelf and saw that I own a couple of bolt action armies. So I thought it was a good time. Uh, especially given how much terrain uh, I have been building for events, both Easter Front earlier in the year and um, some of the tables that will be premiered at Jump to Action in a month. And I realized that I owned armies that matched up against one another and the matching terrain. So I invited a group of some of the old faces of the Bolt Action community here in Melbourne and I invited a special guest from Canberra. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, the guy I'm speaking to, Peter West. And he was gracious enough to fly down to join us for this. And we ran the Bolt Action World Series 2.0. So we had eight players, four tables, and we had four sets of historically matched armies on matching tables. And in every round, the players rotated, um, depending on Swiss pairings, to see who they were playing next. The people who won more ended up playing more. The people who lost more ended up playing together as well. But each time, a player had to use a different army on a different table. And so it really was a challenge, tactically, to adapt each time. Not only that, but... You, you had, I guess, as I said, bolt action armies do lend themselves to same sameness. And I did lean into that a little bit for the armies on the tables, allowing for players to jump between armies with, without too much difficulty. There weren't a lot of swing lists, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Armies were a little same samey in that they usually had a tank or a tank in an armored car. In some cases, they had two tanks. But generally, you had a number of regular riflemen, you had small teams, you had support weapons, you had vehicles. There was a super veteran army on the table. And there were a few mixed veterancy lists, but I did steer away from the all inexperienced army for this particular event. I might put it in for next time. But I, even with sort of the same sameness, I did feel like there was a really nice variety on the tabletop, but I wouldn't be the best one to ask because I did the army list and I put them together and put them on the table. Now, I fielded seven of my own armies for this event, but I did get assistance from Pedro because I, in painting my U.S. Marines for this event, I actually ran out of time to finish my Soviets. So Pedro was wonderful enough to bring his beautifully painted Soviet army and some additional terrain for our urban battle for Shanghai table. But Pete, you actually played these armies on the tabletop as a player who was unfamiliar with this format, who'd never come in and played an event where you're using a different army each time. 
Um, how was that as a player coming in, not knowing what you'd be playing round to round? Uh, it was a challenge. Um, I did not like all the regulars. <laughs> you and I did talk about that. You're a man who likes veterans and likes inexperienced and nothing in between. That's right. Um, but Sorry no, look, that. I think, no, that's fine. I think you're being a bit, uh, a bit harsh on yourself. I thought there was quite a nice variety. I mean, the, um, certainly the matchups I played. So Finns versus Soviets, there was quite a, you know, distinction between the Finn list, which had, which had a bit of armor, and the Soviet list, which was uh, did not have as much armor, but certainly had the anti-tank. I felt to deal with it, so well balanced, mm -hmm. but certainly different, very different styles of play. Um, uh, the other army I played, so Japanese versus U.S. Marines, the U.S. Marines super vets, so very different type of force. So, but still, I thought pretty well balanced. Um, unless you're unfortunate enough to have two of your key pieces wiped out by a mortar like my opponent. Um, so, uh, no, I thought that the armies were quite quite well mixed, but um, pretty well balanced. So kudos to you for, um, I think, getting that sweet spot where the armies were different styles of play. and um, But still, I don't think anyone felt on the day that they were severely hampered by the army they were given. Yeah, I... I mean, obviously, I've played most of those armies before, given that I owned them. However, I didn't have any trouble jumping between armies, albeit most of those armies were built by me for me. So I'm probably the last person in the world to say whether or not I thought it was a good idea. But I, I, the, I think the only thing is, I mean, we've heard people talk about it on other podcasts. We've certainly talked about it on this podcast, that if you are playing in a bolt action event, and you get to game three in a day, or heaven forbid, God help you, you're playing four games in a day, you have some serious mental fade by the end because bolt action is such a, a mentally taxing game. You are spending the whole time interacting with your opponent, pulling dice from the bag, figuring out if you're going down or not, You know, moving, shooting, rolling dice, using strategy, all of that you're constantly on the go. And it's one of the best parts about bolt action is a game system. But adding to that unfamiliar armies and in some cases, unfamiliar missions, it was a little bit of, uh, I, I was pretty tired at the end of the day. Um, I was very happy when uh, Lee Avery and Pedro hung out afterward and we ordered burgers and had a few tasty beverages and played the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle Shredder Revenge video game three player for a couple of hours because that was about as far as my brain would work. But I thought it worked. I, I did mention the missions a second ago. Um, so let's move on to missions. Uh, we have well, had a few requests for the Bolt Action Alliance mission pack, the new version. Because earlier this year, I did premiere two new missions uh, at Easter Front, and they've been played in a few other places. And one of them, Supply Drop, will be run at CanCon. I know you ran Supply Drop, and um, oh, now I'm forgetting the name of the other mission. Um, but you ran them at WinterCon. Um, now, there, there have been the rough drafts of the other missions to run, but I haven't had the opportunity to properly playtest them until now. And so at the Bolt Action uh, World Series, I pulled out the third mission from that pack that no one had seen, 
and is still tentatively titled. I think the only iffy thing about the mission is the title, and it's called Window of Opportunity. Um, and it is a mission where there are four objectives on the tabletop and that you are able to deploy a limited number of units on the table. As the game progresses, of course, you can bring more guys on. But sort of the crux of the mission is you actually don't have a minus one for rolling to bring units on your table edge. You still roll, but you use your base leadership. But if you bring things in from out flank, it's actually an additional minus one. So it's minus two. Where that plays in is besides the four objectives, you can get one additional objective victory point, what have you. So it's basically worth one objective to put one of your units in your opponent's deployment zone. Now, you can't stack five in there and get five victory points. It's only one, but you could put two units in there, and if they kill one, you still have one to get the victory point. So there's five objectives basically on offer at any given moment for this mission. That is a brand new mission. People haven't played it. It Look, it's not terribly dissimilar to some other things that we've seen, um, especially if you look at some of the deployment rules and how the objectives are placed. But I thought it had a nice spin to it. And it was, given that these were, everyone was playing with new armies that they hadn't seen before, I thought it was probably the most straightforward of all the Bolt Action Alliance mission pack missions. Pete, as someone who came in and had never heard of the mission Window of Opportunity, um, what were your thoughts on it? Do you think it worked? Uh, yeah, no, I thought it worked well. And I, th I think that was a general consensus on the day. I mean, the great thing about the Bolt Action Alliance missions, and I, we talked about this last time when we were talking about your two previously released missions, which include Punch Through, um, I, th <laughs> I thought the um, the way that you use the objective works well because it make it forces people to engage and not sit on the back line because as usual you can sort of secure two objectives, but that fifth objective causes you to push forward, um, which is what happened um, in the game, and I thought it worked you know very well and it uh, ultimately ended up in in certainly in my game a bit of a trade off between which objectives we were going, which we were going for, because it was you and me playing that mission. Mm -hmm. um, Spoilers. <laughs> um, so, uh, and it forced me to keep pushing forward. And um, But by the same token, um, I don't think it disadvantaged anyone because, I, again, spoilers, we ended up in a tie, even though there were five objectives. So mm. I thought it worked quite well. As someone who respects your opinion, I am very happy that you like that. But I've spoken to a couple of players since then, and I know there was good feedback on the day, but sometimes people like to go home and sleep on things and think about them. But the feedback has been unbelievably positive for that mission. So, um, And unfortunately, there is a typo. So once I fix the typo, I think it is ready for publication in the pack later this year. And for those wondering, when is the pack coming? Well, we will be premiering another new mission at Jump to Action and yet another new mission at Operation Bear later in the year. Uh, and what that means is we are probably going to see the mission pack around Christmas time or right before Christmas, maybe Thanksgiving time. So we'll see. It is the end of the year, and that is usually my busiest time at work. But I, at that point, I will have everything formally written up. I just like to have things play tested before I publish them. Um, the other two missions we played on the day were classics from the Bolt Action Mission Pack. Now, we could have gone with rulebook missions, but a lot of people have played a lot of those recently. 
Uh, and so we thought we'd mix it up a little bit. And so we used nuts from the 2020 Bolt Action Alliance mission pack, which is a classic, and Crossfire, which came later in the piece compared to some of the other Bolt Action Alliance uh, 20 mission pack 2020, et cetera, et cetera, but is still one of my favorites. So it was great to be able to play those two missions because I actually haven't played either of those missions since COVID lockdowns in 2020. So it was nice to go back. It was like revisiting some old friends. And they were missions that most of the players uh, playing in the event were familiar with because they've played in Melbourne events. And typically we've used a lot of the Bolt Action Alliance mission packs over the years. So Pete, I think uh, it might be time before we dig in though, is there anything else you wanted to mention about the format or the missions before we start talking about games, armies, and tables. Now let's get into the meat. I'm, I'm ready right. to dig in. <laughs> right on. Let's do it. So the Bolt Action World Series was held in a venue that made it easy for me to put out my terrain in my armies, given that I was providing almost all the terrain and almost all the armies, my house. Uh, and so we put together four tables in my living room and we set things up. Table one was the continuation war and we had Finland versus the Soviet Union. Now the Finn army was made up of a lot of vehicles. Now you might ask Finland vehicles. Well, the heavy tank platoon or brigade that I talked about in a previous episode for Finland did involve some light armored cars for reconnaissance it did involve a few tows uh, to bring logistics around a bunch of T-28s and one uh, stuck. And so I put together a Finn army that kind of reflected that had four squads of regular Finns four regular rifleman squads, um, a couple of anti-tank rifles because they were used to support the armored vehicles, a sniper because Finland, and a T-28, a Stug, uh, a Consomolets tractor, and one of the LMG uh, armored cars. Now, facing against that was a much more generalist Soviet army that had a Zis-3, T-34, uh, with a bunch of ATRs and uh, assorted uh, squads with LMGs, SMGs, and all sorts of other shenanigans that you would anticipate being in your regular sort of Soviet army. Of all the tables, that was the one I did not play on. And terrain-wise, though there was uh, five kidneys of trees and three fairly significant hills, like large ones that created almost a valley on the tabletop, a couple of houses, some walls, and an outhouse, and assorted other terrain i felt like this was the most open table at the event uh pete you played on this table and i don't actually know which army you ran um, but i do know that you did well on this table can you talk to us a little bit about what it was like um, to play on this table and what those armies? so i played the soviets on this table versus the Finns and all those vehicles which um despite the fact as you describe it, it sounds quite open. And actually, the hills, the interaction between the hills and the barns actually sort of divide it um, into three separate zones. You've mm. sort of got the left, right, and the center. Um, 
and I don't know, maybe that was kind of uh, as a, also as a result of the fact that, you know, we had the five objectives. Um, but no, um, I didn't feel it was too open at all. In fact, I was quite lucky it wasn't open because facing um, three armoured vehicles, mm -hmm. um, I had the one T-34 and I was just very lucky that uh, on the first round I was able to draw the last dice, which meant I bought my T-34 on last. Mm -hmm. Um which fortunately for me, my opponent had split his tanks either side of the hill. So I was able to focus my T-34 on his T-28 and the Stug was sort of um, screened off, at least for the first couple of turns. So mm -hmm. um, I certainly didn't feel it was too open. In fact, the train worked quite well for me. So um, <laughs> I thought it was a good table. <laughs> nice. And you played Lee Avery. Uh, no, I played Pedro on that. Oh, that's table. right. You played Pedro. Um, and you played that in round three. Uh, spoilers, the top table at that point. <laughs> yes, that's right. Uh, and so also the spoiler was I was playing um, Pedro's army against him. So he was playing your Finns and I was playing his Russians. So uh, it was a very fun match um, nice. and a perfect way to finish the tournament. Um, and there were a real couple of highlights. Although one of them is that afterwards, um, my sniper performed atrociously all game for uh, one miss, five hits, no kills. Um, and uh, Pedro told me afterwards uh, she never does anything for him either. So um, <laughs> I'm glad to see it's not just me. Exactly, exactly. I'm sorry about the coughing that keeps coming up. I keep trying to mute myself as much as it happens, guys. I'm sorry. I did actually, spoilers, uh, get COVID, which is uh, why there was a gap a week uh, a week ago where I was actually using an old episode, the masters of the universe was actually recorded well before I got COVID, but I actually got fairly bad. I'm still recovering to the point where I can speak. Um, this week is the first time I can talk for more than a sentence or two without getting lightheaded. So, um, please bear with us while I am a little coffee. Uh, but yeah, I, I loved the army that Pedro brought to this. It was really cool. And, um, he had actually changed his army list after listening to the Cast Ice episode with Alistair and I talking about the Soviet Union, because he took a lot from what Alistair had said and um, had had tweaked up the list a little bit. And as a result, I was a little worried the Finns were going to be on the back foot, but it was nice to see a nice back and forth with the win-loss ratio of the armies on that table over the course of the day. So, uh, yeah, I think that table worked well. And it sounds like you thought so as well. Yeah, no, I thought it was um, uh, both the terrain and the armies were well balanced. And it was a fun table to play on. Um, I got a lot of stories out of that. Although, surprisingly for the top table, it seemed to be a competition between me and Pedro as to whose luck could be worse. Um, so it was really a lot of missed shots and glances and things not being destroyed. and. Uh, although the uh, the highlight of the match was that uh, I ran up my commissar up the side, tried to grab an objective, um, and he was assaulted by Pedro's sniper squad. He defeated them with his pistol and his megaphone, and then um, he was uh, managed to destroy a transport at the end of the turn by being closest to it. So it doesn't get much better or funnier than that. <laughs> I was going to say, also, that's my sniper. Hey, buddy, I'll do that. 
Well, let's move on to a much different environment, shall we? To table two. Uh, And this was the table that I have been spending the last couple of months preparing for. As many of you know, I am an incredibly slow painter. uh, And this was supposed to be my speed paint army. Turns out, even speed painting takes me forever. Uh, So I spent the last, oh God, six weeks, or I spent about six weeks, quote unquote, speed painting a U.S. Marine Army. This is, interestingly, the army, the very the second bolt-action army I ever bought. Um, when the game first came out, uh, pretty much the day almost I received my Armies of the United States book, I called War and Peace Games and ordered a bunch of U.S. Marines, which then immediately came to my house, and then I never painted them until now. Um, so I've been sitting on this pile of warlord metal u.s marines forever and over the years i supplemented them with some assault group marines uh metal marines because they are also great and um i finally painted them so i have most of a u.s army painted i didn't have time to finish the support weapons some of the small teams and the mortar and i didn't have time to paint the matching stewart and uh, a couple of other vehicles. So what that meant was I looked at the army and went, you know what? I originally bought these to run them as U.S. Marine Raiders. And if you've gone back through the Cast Ice episodes, I believe I republished Pete West and I's conversation about the Marine Raiders on Macon Island way back when. So I thought, why not try and recreate that on the tabletop? So using the U.S. Marine Raider rules from Empires in Flames, I created a U.S. Marine Raider Army, which is a veteran, stubborn Marine Army, which on paper is terrifying. Um, And I added a flamethrower team, a bazooka, a sniper, uh, a lieutenant, and a heavy machine gun jeep. And facing against that, was sort of a generalist Japanese jungle army. Uh, it was an army that I sold on to our good friend Rick Vav, who, after a couple of negative game experiences in an event, actually gave the army back to me, which I was incredibly sad about, other than the fact that I painted that army when I was traveling through France with my wife. Yes, I painted an army while traveling, don't ask. But I was really excited to get it back because it has a lot of sentimental value. And it was lovely to actually put it on the table again because I hadn't seen the table in my possession uh, in five or six years. So it was lovely to see it on the table again for me. It had a medium order. It had a medium howitzer. It had uh, a Type 89 Ego. It had all the toys as far as Sniper, um, it had very, very large rifleman squads. I think it was rocking 10-man rifleman squads, five of them, plus other assorted lieutenants, Kempatai officers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It also had, I believe, two to three anti-tank. It had three anti-tank suicide AT guys. And so it had all the teeth. It was a 16-dice army versus a 14-dice army. And even though I thought the Marines were kitted out to kill, they actually got, I think they lost every game. Although the game that I played on that table against Rob Deacon was a fairly close affair until the very end, I do 
think that if the Marines were maybe just regular veterans rather than stubborn veterans, um, and they had a few more toys, possibly a tank, um, I think it would have been a very different story. But I think the the order dice difference and the fact that the Japanese had all the toys as well um, played to their favor. Was that your experience, Pete? Uh, yes, I think that's a fair fair summary. I don't think the gap was as perhaps wide as it may sound. Um, right. There was uh, certainly some very tense moments in my game mm-hmm. where I felt it could have swung the other way, but boy, uh, Lee was just having a bad, bad game. I've never seen anyone <laughs> get so so many unlucky breaks in a game. Um, and uh, so in the end, it wasn't as close as it probably should have been. Um, but I, I didn't feel that was necessarily just because of the army composition. I think that, you know, this is the game where I um, got uh, ranged in with my mortar on Lee's sniper on turn one. Um, this is the game where he's both his flamethrower and his bazooka ran out from cover to um, toast me at various times, both my tank and my one of my squads. And both times he was just millimetres out and was left hanging in the wind um, and got <laughs> sliced up. Um, and I, my medium howitzer also hit on a six on one of his squads. So it was just a, a combination of um, a couple of things that just meant that it was tougher than it should have been, I think, for Lee. Yeah, I think everyone who used that Japanese army with that medium howitzer hit a lot and did a lot of damage with it um, because that seemed to be the comment in every game, including the one I played that people were saying like it, it seemed to do very well. Like Pedro's sniper, not ever hitting that howitzer was zoning in and like crushing everything. That said, I think I was, I added some additional terrain to the table from Eastern front earlier this year. I added a few um, rocks, hills and shrubberies um, adding to the jungle just to mix it up a bit. And I think it really added a lot to the table. There was just a lot of great uh, terrain to interact with and to maneuver around. And it gave you some really interesting tactical options. And so I think that table is now set and ready to go for jump to action. And I'm glad I added a couple of little bits and pieces. Uh, But yeah. Yeah. No, I thought it was a really nice table. The terrain was um, well balanced and I felt the Marines had pretty good cover running up. They just need uh, a bit more luck. And um, mm-hmm. I think the only other thing I'd say about that table, Brad, is Bohica. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I have my uh, U.S. forces for Vietnam painted and ready to go. Uh, I do need to paint a couple of tanks for the American side, but I... I have the VC all primed and ready. I just need to actually sit down and paint them. Uh, I might try and quote unquote speed paint those at some point. We'll see how we go. Um, so, uh, I, I stubborn was remarkably good on those Marines in the game that I played against Rob. I punished a few squads and they basically laughed off anything I did to them. Wow. Veterans with stubborn particularly with the Marine weapon loadout. Oof. I understand why it's expensive points wise, but wow, that was intimidating at times until the end. I think that could have gone either way. Yeah. I felt the stuff. I I need to play with that army. Some, I I think there's, there's some life and legs to it, 
Uh, I just, it may not have been the right army to give to someone who had never played it before. I think that there is something there with the stub and I certainly felt it. Um, I guess my, my perspective was I was hitting a lot with HE. That was what did most of my mm. damage and it just, it doesn't work quite as well. I'm, so I'm not sure overall if it's worth the cost, if you're taking yeah. damage from HE. Um, certainly stubborn work great because I was desperately trying to kill off his final guy to get that last objective who survived like a mortar hit and how it's a hit. I think I just had to run over him with a tank to kill him off. But um, <laughs> the in general, when you're getting hit by HE, it's um, stubborn doesn't do quite the work it should for the cost, I think, um, would be my observation. Yeah. Yeah. True. True. Well, let's talk about game three and unfortunately, or sorry, table three. And unfortunately for you, you had to play a real jerk on this table. That is the battle of the bulge U S army versus Germans. Of course, this is battle of the bulge. So it is a winter theme. Um, this was a new table configuration. It was using some of the terrain from a table we've used previously on a new geek villain mat that looks amazing. Um, we added a few bridges over a dried stream bed, and it was winter-themed U.S. great coats versus Battle of the Bulge Germans, including an infiltrator squad in a Dodge Beep that we counted as a quote-unquote field car. The Germans had an Urzass Panther, again, leaning into the Battle of the Bulge theme, and had five squads of regular guys reasonable size squads. I think they were all eight or nine guys. Uh, and there was a smattering of weapons. A, a couple of those squads had LMGs. Um, all the squads had an SMG on the sergeant. A lot of them had um, also a Panzerfaust on the sergeant. There was one or two assault rifles per squad, depending if there was an LMG or not. And a couple of other little bits and pieces. I didn't go overboard with the kit, but they definitely had a few extra bits and pieces on each squad. So there was four of those squads, and then there was a veteran squad that had that was dressed up in American gear that had SMGs for five guys and an assault rifle for one guy that was the sergeant, um, and they were running around, as I said, in a field car. There were some additional support teams uh, in that army as well, but facing against them was, as I said, the Americans, which was four regular rifleman squads eight man, one bar, one SMG. The fifth squad was a regular engineer squad. So it also had one bar and one SMG, but it also had a flamethrower. In that army, there was also a Greyhound and a Sherman and a few other things like a light howitzer, a mortar, uh, and a few other bits and pieces. And so that, I think... I was initially a little concerned about the Germans winning that game, given that the Panther is a very hit or miss endeavor when you're sort of combining, putting that against a Greyhound and a Sherman. But those games were very close and the games did go both ways over the course of the day. Pete, you played me in this round. What were your thoughts about the armies and the table? Uh, good army, terrible opponent. 
No, just, just kidding. <laughs> no, it was uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, in part, first time playing you, I think in about eight years um, yeah. when we last played was at Moab, and you had uh, uh, Polish resistance with a flamethrower Hetzer, um, and I was playing British Home Guard. So that's that's how long ago that was. Um, but no, yeah. look, it was it was a lot of a lot of fun. Our game and. Um, I thought the armies were pretty well balanced. Interestingly enough, I don't think your Sher- your Panther and my Sherman ever shot at each other. They nope. were opposite sides of the table, and it um, was a fun game for that. My um, <laughs> Sherman was running rampant on one side, and your Panther was tying down my infantry on the other. But mm-hmm. uh, uh, a lot of fun, a lot of Hail Marys. Um, ultimately, mm-hmm. um, spoiler, it came down to a draw. Um I thought I to be without no flies on me, but I thought I had it in the bag uh, because I was doing pretty well. But uh, you were you, you uh, proved to be the master and um, did a hail mary with your panther, ran it down the road, um, and just basically um, with your shooting forced me to go down, which I shouldn't have done in retrospect, making sure I didn't get to that last objective. So mm-hmm. you played it perfectly, sir. But uh, a lot of fun. I got off two infantry assaults on the Panther, um, you did. <laughs> which is you know kind of insane. I don't. I think that's. T- um, I now have a total of four infantry assaults on a tank in like eight years of playing um, bolt action. So you know, fifty percent mm-hmm. of my assault, tank assaults were in this game. Um, but no, look, all in all, it was a, a pretty well balanced. Um, Again, I had a little bit of luck on this one, um, particularly since uh, I think I'm trying to remember my sniper managed to take out your Panzerfaust, mm-hmm. which let my Sherman run rampant. Um, so mad about that. Still mad about that. <laughs> Look, it's um, never a good idea when your entire anti Sherman defense plan is one Panzerfaust in a regular squad. <laughs> However, one must make do when Pete refused flanks you with his tank. Which is why I then took my panther, which was on the opposite end of the board, and rammed it down your throat. Uh, because, as you say, I was never going to stop you otherwise, and it did just hold you up. It was it was the it was literally the best distraction I could come up with. I had a couple of boneheaded maneuvers in that game because I was I, I don't know what I was thinking when I forgot to move our, uh, my veteran squad that you'd ranged in on until like halfway through the turn when you unforgot for me and leveled them. Look, I think that Panther really did save my bacon in a big way. Um, And though I was worried about its existence in the army prior to that game, I was really happy it was there when I was playing it, if that makes sense. Yeah, I I really enjoyed how that army played out on uh, both the game and how the army played. So, uh... Yeah, I might need to give my Germans another run because the last time I ran that army in an event, it was a big points. Uh, it wasn't a tank war event, but they encouraged people to bring bigger vehicles. And so I, I bring the Panther and I just bullied people with it constantly because of Tiger Fear at the time and its big heavy armor and its massive gun. And it was kind of fun to do that again. So, yeah, lots of fun. Pete, any final thoughts about table three or should uh, should I move on to the city? No, just uh, lovely armies. Um, your, uh, particularly your 
uh, Battle of the Bulge Americans. Uh, it's a great looking army, and um, I feel very inspired uh, to look at doing one of those myself. Well, that was a table that I had no part in painting the armies for. Uh, the Americans were painted by the old LRDG podcast member, Warlord Tobu, uh, way back when. I've been wishing I could get him to paint one more squad for that army for about eight years. And the Germans uh, and the American infiltrators were painted by the one and only uh, Andy Singleton of Volley Fire Painting Service. And man, I couldn't be happier with them. They are so, so good. And I did realize when I was putting the army back in the case that I have about 10 extra models now for that army than what I would normally field in a game. And that gave me a bad idea of maybe, maybe it's time to call Andy and ask him if he can do a couple more. And then I could possibly run two German armies using those models. But we'll see. See how busy he is. The man is a very talented painter. Those, those armies are gorgeous. Table four. The table that could have thrown things out. And that was the Battle for Shanghai. 1937. Nationalist Chinese versus the Japanese. Now, it was only Justin Wright that I put that table on because I own Nationalist Chinese and I own a Japanese 1937 army that was designed to play for the Battle of Shanghai. So those two armies had to go on for this event. And then finding the matching terrain. Um, I actually used a lot of Knight of Dice cities, because uh, sorry, city buildings, because at the time, uh, Shanghai was called the Paris of the East. And ironically, the battle then became the Stalingrad of the East just how historians refer to these things. There were a lot of Western-style buildings with asian influence facade signs in a lot of the pictures if you look back at the, the photos of Shanghai at the time. And, but there was also a lot of wrecked vehicles, uh, craters, and debris. So we put a lot of Knights of Dice buildings in, and then Pedro was nice enough to bring some of his Knights of Dice matching Chinatown buildings. So we had a Chinese restaurant, um, we had a noodle cart, and there was just a generic uh, building that had Chinese signage on it that matched my buildings perfectly because they were literally by the same company. And then we added in a few ruins um, in, a, in the sort of the edge of a city park on one side of the board. And there you go. We had Shanghai for the Battle of Shanghai because a lot of buildings were damaged. There was a lot of um, significant cratering from artillery that randomly struck different parts of the city. And we thought that that reflected uh, on the tabletop what Shanghai would look like. Um, I did talk with John and with Pedro before we set up for this as the best ways to do it. And I was a little concerned that the terrain would be too dense. So we did try and leave some open lines of terrain more so than was done with the sort of generic ruined city board at Eastern Front, um, where it was all ruins. Um, the feedback I got from a lot of players for that was it was great, but it did tend to slow you down a little bit, even though there were lines um, for people to move down. There was just a lot of rough ground and heavy cover to, to maneuver through. So for this event, I left about half of the ruins in the box and we plumped it out with non-wrecked buildings. And that worked way better. 
Um, so now I think I need to somehow find another half a table worth of city buildings so we can have two half city, half ruined buildings for possibly Operation Bear later this year. But I was really happy with how Shanghai came together. On one side, we had a Japanese army that had um, a heavy AT gun, one of the AA heavy uh, heavy AT guns. It was like the Japanese version of an 88 um, that also fired as a light howitzer. Um, we had another Type 89 Ego. We had a Type 87 armored car, which is the one that has two MMGs uh, in the turret. They can fire either opposite directions or in the same direction. We had a number of Japanese riflemen. We had a flamethrower team. Because it was 1937 and the Japanese were not on the back foot, everything in that army was regular other than the Kempatai officer because historically Kempatai officers were on the ground in Shanghai at that point, even though there weren't any units for them to buff on the table rules-wise. Also, there were no suicide anti-tank guys in that army because they weren't doing that. Japan was... Um, not on the back foot. No one was doing the suicide AT thing at that point in China. So it was literally just a regular, quote unquote, army um, just using the national rules and Japanese tanks and vehicles. Facing against that was a very numerous Chinese army, had uh, a triple two, a T-26, which is just a light tank with a light AT gun and a coax MMG. Um, we also had um, a light AT gun, a mortar, and a few other bits and pieces. Both armies had snipers. The Chinese had a big sword squad. They had an infiltrating guerrilla squad um, dressed up as civilians. They had their free 14-man squad, and then they had three regular nine-man rifleman squads. So there was a lot of bodies on the Chinese side. And again, this was a table where it went back and forth depending on the round that you were playing. I played it in round three, so I was playing Crossfire. Oh, no, sorry. I played Nuts on this table. I played it in round two, and Pedro and I played to a standstill, and we actually tied by objectives. But if you look at the victory conditions, it says, if there's a tie, go to the victory conditions from the mission No Man's Land from the book, which we did, and Pedro soundly beat me using those. Um, because he had killed way more of my army than I had of his. That was a very uh, close game, though. And, man, it really did go both ways. I was playing the Japanese. Pedro was playing the Chinese. So I actually ended up playing, because I played the Japanese in against Rob's Marines on the Marine table as well. I actually ended up playing Japanese twice. But they felt like very different armies, both because of the tabletops and the composition of what was in them. And I was really happy that they felt very different. And it was also nice, I think, for people, because Japanese are one of those things that you, they're not an army type you see a lot of down here. So I think it was nice. I heard a few people say, oh, I get to finally play with Japanese. This is cool. Uh, and so I think it was just a fun opportunity for people. Um, and I, again, I thought it was kind of strange that, I got to play with Jap Japanese twice. Uh, but yeah, again, um, I did have a lot of fun in that game. And I was really happy with how the table 
played out um, as the mission went on. And I definitely think we need to be doing more of that. And after playing two Japanese games, man, I'm feeling the urge to paint another Japanese army, even though I own two. So maybe I should just settle for painting a couple of more vehicles and adding them to my existing stuff. Uh, Pete, I know that you spent some time looking at the Japanese versus Chinese table. Um, any takeaways? Uh, it certainly sounded like the fun table. It was always lots of yelling and uh, <laughs> seemingly close dice calls on that table. Mm-hmm. Um, and my uh, only regret of... Uh, uh, the World Series is that I didn't get to play with your legendary Japanese in Great Coats Army. Um, I got to play with your other Japanese, which was fun, but um, mm-hmm. I, I missed the opportunity. Um, but no, look, it, it's a really great table and, I mean, you know, lovely themed armies. The Japanese in Great Coats obviously stand out from your normal Japanese and then uh the chinese uh is quite a motley and very colorful army and mm-hmm. you know chuck in a couple of um asian buildings and it it really makes the game look and feel very exciting so it was a, a certainly the table with all the fun yeah man definitely and i do want to point out that both armies on that table were painted by our our close personal friend patch and they are astonishingly gorgeous armies Um, and so the second you put those on the tabletop against one another on a matching table and chef's kiss it was outstanding like it just every time i walked by that table i was just loving every second of it i don't think i have any other big takeaways for that table but um world series we had eight players we had Aaron Cattle, Rob Deacon, Pedro, Dave Monroe, Lee Avery, John, who has been on many times to talk about his Chinese, and he did get to play Chinese on the day. Myself, you, obviously. Uh, it was a great crew of guys. And at the end of the day, a lot of people wrote some really sweet messages. And a couple of folks, you know, have been a little wary of event play. And they said that this was, hands down, maybe one of the best events they played in. Given the challenges that we were, infl- I was inflicting on players as far as here's a new army, learn it, and here's a new mission, learn it, have fun, go play. Um, I thought it worked really well. What were your thoughts? I mean, I know you mentioned it earlier, and I'm not just fishing for compliments here. Did you think that there were any challenges for the format that you would change next time, or are you happy with how it ran? I was happy. I mean, as you said, this is my first time playing this format and I think it works very well for bolt action. Um, I played three armies that I have never played before. So um, I've never played US um, regulars. So I've got Marines, but I've never played US Army. Um, I've never played Japanese, although that is the army I'm painting at the moment. And I've never played Soviets, although I've got three Soviet armies in my lead pile. Um, so uh, it's, um, I think it just shows that how good a format it is that of those three games where I was playing armies I'd never played before, um, I never sort of had major problems in figuring out what my army did and how it did it. There was... Um, a couple of minor rules I had to know for each of the armies, but otherwise mm-hmm. it was pretty much, this is bolt action. Um, the only one I think where it got a little tricky was on the fins. Um, mm-hmm. Cause 
their rules are a little more out of the ordinary. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think the only time it, I saw it go against someone was when um, I did destroy that transport that um, Pedro had been moving forward. This so it was a um, um, what's uh, remind me very what it was the Russian um, the Russian Bren equivalent the Konsomolets. Yes, um, as I say, mm-hmm. it was destroyed by my. Um, uh, my officer, because he was close to it, my commissar, sorry, because he was close to it, but I don't think Pedro had realised it was a transport team. It was just a, an armoured machine gun. Oh. So <laughs> I think that's yeah. probably the only time I saw someone get caught out by not having previously played an army before. But um, overall, it, I think, yeah, it's a really good format for bolt action because you do that rifleman's a rifleman and for each army, you, there's maybe one or two additional things you have to remember that's different about this army than whatever you normally play, and you just pick it up and um, give it a go. Uh, yeah. As I say, I was trying something different because I never play regular armies, so it was a bit of a bit of an odd thing playing three regular armies in a row. But I don't know, it worked out well. It worked out pretty well for me, and um, I, I'm sort of tempted. Maybe I'm. Maybe I've been a bit harsh on the, the old regs. Maybe I need to give them another look. I you heard it here first. Uh, first here, folks. Sorry, COVID brain. Pete West going to come regular, and there's a good reason for why he's considering this. Because at the end of the day, the podium went third place. Pedro, which is saying something, because he was the man to beat pretty much the entire day. Second place, our buddy John, and first place, the man who came from Canberra. To take all our trophies. That's right. Peter West. Congratulations, man. Thank you very much. It was it was a great fun day. And um I was just happy to be in the company of so many good players. Um and to take it out was uh absolute icing on the cake. I think that is the key for this format. I think it comes down to the players that you invite because we had a you know top caliber players, but Players who were who embraced the philosophy of the event and really, you know, were laughing and having fun. It was a really informal affair. And I think the fact that we held it in my house helped. People showed up, had their cup of coffee, had their donut, and were playing some games, having a laugh. We ordered some pizza for lunch, again, had some laughs. Um, and the, as you say, you know, people were yelling and hollering on some of the tables. And, you know, there was just good humor aplenty everywhere. Uh, I think Rob Deacon is single-handedly the the best jokester in bolt action, hands down. So he was providing laughs for maybe three tables at one time at every single round. And for any rules question, I do have to give a giant shout out to our friend Albert, um, of course, who won Eastern Front. Um, he was our alternate player for this event. If someone had dropped, he would have been our um, our evener. Um, but he was just happy to come hang out. I actually offered to have him take my place at one point so that we could trade so he could get some games in. And he said, no, no, I'm happy just hanging out. Um, and he just, you know, watched games, answered people's questions because the man knows his rules. Um, but again, adding to the jokes and the good, the good humor of the event. And yeah, it was just nine good guys hanging out, playing some games. I couldn't have been happier. And yeah, I, I was really happy with how the format worked. And I'm already making plans for next year's World Series event. And it does mean that I have to finish painting my Soviets really fast. 
But guys, if you have any questions about how this format worked, um, I, I feel like we've hit almost all the details that were required. Um, however, please message the page, Cast Dice on Facebook, C-A-S-T-D-I-C-E, or if you're watching this on YouTube, please message below, and I'm happy to answer any questions you may have. Whew. Before we call it a day, Pete, you and I do love to talk about different games. I think it would be rude not to talk about anything that we happen to be interested in at the moment. Pete, can I just quietly say I'm very excited for the upcoming Stargrave uh, book. Oh, God, now I'm blanking. Is it Hope's Reach? It's it's a new um, scenario campaign book, and it allows for cooperative play. And I'm very excited about that. Have you seen this? Do you know what I'm talking about? I am. Uh, sorry, I have, yes. <laughs> I do know what you're talking about. Um, I was just looking at it the other night. Um, was it Hope Eternal or something like that? Yes, but, that's um, it. Hope it's basically, I think, uh, from reading the blurb, it's uh, Uprising Against the Pirate Overlords, um, or at least the start mm -hmm. of the Uprising Against the Pirate Overlords. Um, so, yeah, no, it looks like a real fun um, addition to the game and uh, bringing in that co-op and additional as a additional play, I think, um, is going to be a lot of fun. Um, you know, I still enjoy Stargrave a lot. Uh, I like, I, I think I still prefer the new Silver Bayonet system. I just mm -hmm. I like that refinement a little better. But in terms of, um, you know, games allow you get uh, a good swath of your models on the table and just have fun with them. It's hard to go past Stargrave. Couldn't agree more. Uh, and speaking of good games, I know I talked about it in the last episode because I spoke with the developers, but Albert and I have been playing Masters of the Universe Battleground, and wow, that game has depth. And I'm not just saying that because I spoke to the developers. I was shocked that a, a first edition rule set that was sort of all included in one box, I mean, you kind of expect some depth from games like, I don't know, Marvel Crisis Protocol or Malifaux where you get some base models in the kit and then you bulk it out as you go. And yes, that is the model that is moving forward with Masters of the Universe. But I felt like the 10 characters that came in the core box, especially with the mechanics of adding gear to them, just really had a ton of variation that you can put on those characters. And each character really had its own individual identity i'm really impressed with that game and if i wasn't so wiped out from trying to cough all night because i'm recovering from covid i would actually i would be playing that right maybe not this second because we're podcasting but like tomorrow like i'm that excited about it it's super good um but i guess the other game that i'm pretty excited about is O200 Hours has finally shipped. Um, I know that they were having issues getting some of the, the sprues of plastic in um, to distribute the game into the UK, but all of that has been received. They've been turned around and put out. And so, folks, if you bought O200 Hours, it's on its way. And mine is in the mail, and I cannot wait. Uh, Pete, is yours also in the mail? 
It is indeed. I have the uh, message um, in, my email, in my inbox saying that it's on its way. So as with all those memes, I'm standing outside looking pensively at my mailbox waiting for it to arrive. I think that makes you Escobar, right? Just sitting there in the empty <laughs> pool, looking straight ahead, looking sad. Well, it's probably good that it has actually shipped. It means I can, now that I've actually got the game, I can stop buying things for it, even though it hasn't arrived yet. So I've, as I think I've mentioned previously, I've gone out and bought some pulp figures. Mm -hmm. um, for one scenario, I've also um, gone out and got a bunch of artisan desert figures to do a bit of a desert Raiders uh, 200 hours. Um, nice. And... Um, I'm now looking at also picking up some Kriegsmarine guys to do a bit of a port raid. So, you know, it's probably a good thing the game's going to arrive soon because I can't afford to not have it for much longer. <laughs> right on. Right on. Yeah, I after the U.S. Marines, I'm taking a much-needed uh, break. Um, but also for 0200 hours, I'm painting a lot of, and also for Jump to Action, I'm painting a lot of, or assembling a lot of MDF buildings to paint this weekend when the weather's theoretically going to be better. Um, and uh, I keep going, hmm, this would work very well for a commando raid. Hmm. Uh, so this week I've already built three village buildings, a barn, a big farmhouse. Uh, I'm about to build the church and a bunch of other things. So I'm very excited. And I guess when I was in the depths of COVID land, I may have ordered some more MDF from uh, our buddies uh, from, uh, is it Titan Forge in um, New Zealand, Titan Terrain. So I have five more buildings that showed up today. So I'm rapidly running out of uh, PVA glue or Elmer's glue, depending on which way you say it. Uh, I might need to go out and buy some more and definitely need to buy some more spray primer because PD, uh, sorry, MDF buildings just drink primer. But it means yep. that jump to action, we will have at least two more tables ready to rock and roll. So cannot wait. Um, for those who don't know, jump to action is happening in September. It is a bolt action event happening. I believe it's September 25th. It is at Games Portal. Uh, I cannot wait for that to happen. Unfortunately, I was hoping that perhaps if there was an odd number of players, I might get to play a little. But the waiting list for that has been consistently filled. We are completely sold out. We are totally sponsored by Warlord Games and by War and Peace Games in that we are getting quite a lot from them. And I do want to say we are additionally being sponsored by our good friend Albert, who had a lot of unpainted, unassembled, new in the box, bolt action product that he's donated to Jump to Action after listening to a previous episode and us talking about how we may not have as many prizes for Jump to Action as Operation Bear. And he incredibly generously has become one of our main sponsors. So please, the next time you see Albert, please thank him um, because Jump to Action is largely sponsored by a member of our community who I'm very excited to call a friend. So thank you, Albert. And I look forward to playing Masters of the Universe and many other games with you soon. But um, once we start talking about future events, it might be time to call it a day. 
Um, I actually, that does remind me, there is one other event to talk about. That is, of course, Operation Bear. Um, we will be running Operation Bear in November. The date has been announced through the Facebook page. We will be doing registration. Tickets have not gone on sale for it yet. Registration in full player pack will be coming. I didn't want to put out three player packs at once and then lose track of which one, especially since some people were paying tickets for different things at different times. So now that the Bolt Action World Series is done and I am largely recovered from COVID and am mostly caught up from all the work I missed, um, I will be doing the Operation Bear player pack with Lee and we will be putting out that information in the coming weeks. Uh, it will be at least another two weeks, but it will be coming. If you are coming interstate, we definitely have our point value, which is 1,054 points. Um, and I can answer any question as far as listing goes or accommodation or dates or venue, because all of those are 100% set. And we will definitely have room for anyone who wants to play for that event. So any questions, please message the Cast Dice Facebook page. Pete, thank you as always for coming on, brother. It is always a pleasure to talk with you. And, and I can't tell you how humbled I am that you made the trip all the way down to Melbourne town to come play at the Bolt Action World Series. Thank you so much, brother. Well, it was a real pleasure, Bert, and thank you again for putting it on. And I just I second everything you said previously, that um, I think this format's a really sweet spot. If you want to put on something friendly, particularly for a local community or your friends, it's that sweet spot between a competitive game um, and uh, I guess purely scenario type uh, setup because you know it is competitive you're playing against each other but because you're not using your own armies no one can take it too seriously and I think it really hits that sweet spot so um, have a think about it if you want to do something um, uh, for your friends or for the local group it's um, a really great format and um, I'm sure Brad will help with any questions you may have along the way absolutely um, and I should mention two things for the World Series format. I just saw the little note that I have on my computer that I hadn't hit my last two points. One is um, Lee Avery has repeatedly said with this format, because he played in the original one five years ago, and then he played in this one this time, that it is very easy to take this event larger um, if you reach out into the community and people are willing to let other people use their armies. Um, that is, that can be awkward for some people because obviously people spend a lot of time and money, uh, investing in their, in these armies and it can feel bad to have someone else touching it, you know, Cheeto handing your models or knocking them over, bumping them into things. I get it. However, a, a number of people have volunteered to bring, uh, forces to this weekend and if I lived in a, in a larger house, I, I may have considered going bigger with the event and possibly next year I'll go off site and make it significantly larger and ask some local people from the community if people wouldn't mind them using an army as well, much like Pedro at this event, and see if we can make it a larger event. I have mentioned it sort of anecdotally, but I think it is important to note that I really went out of my way to balance the armies against one another so that both players were in it with a chance to win and there weren't any weird skew lists. And I think that really helped with the format. 
that said, you know, if you want to run um, sort of a weird historical mission where maybe you have like an LRDG army coming in, swooping in on a, a more static defensive dug in force, you could definitely do that. Um, I just think you might in that situation need to match the scenario to the board, which is something that Pedro and I were talking at length about after the event, perhaps running a few smaller or even larger tables um, at future events with more themed armies, particularly around maybe an urban combat table with really dense terrain, but having smaller armies and because it would take more time to plan it, you would then be able to play a game in the same amount of time that everyone else was playing with more standard armies on more standard tables. But again, now we're getting a little further away from regular style armies. So that might be more challenging for people to pick up. But it might be a nice opportunity for people to test their metal. I don't know. Food for thought for future episodes. Guys, thank you very much for listening to this episode of Cast Ice. If you have any questions, if you have any feedback, if you have any requests about games or armies or anything else that you would like us to talk about on this particular show, please go to the Cast Ice Facebook page, C-A-S-T-D-I-C-E, message the page. Uh, my name is Brad. Hi, you're guaranteed a response. Uh, just remember, I live in Australia and I do occasionally sleep, so it might take a few hours for me to get back to you. For the people, there were a few people who messaged uh, previously when I was ill. It did take me a while to get back to you. I think I've gotten back to everyone. But if I have missed you, please message the page because I definitely don't want to leave anyone out in the cold. And when we start talking about leaving people out in the cold, the cold, dark night of Melbourne's winter, I think it's probably time to call it a night. Ladies and gentlemen, as our buddy Casey always says, when you are playing the games that we know and love, I hope that your dice roll hot. I hope that your beverages are cold. But more than that, we at Cast Dice hope that you are having fun. Stay safe out there, guys. Good night. Day.
Sagan.